good morning. My name's uh, Katie Turner and I'm bringing this podcast uh, from London and I'm on the phone to Vincent Cornelis, um, who's in Australia yesterday. So um, good morning or good evening, should I say, Vincent? Okay, good evening, Katie. Oh, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very confusing. Um, so we're here today to talk a bit about... Um, uh, Vincent's recent study, um, which has been published in STI. Um, so, Vincent, maybe you could tell us a bit about why you um, why you did the study and what you were looking at. Sure. Um, so, we looked at um, seasonal differences in um, sexual behaviour or sexual partner numbers and um, diagnoses of sexually transmitted infections. Um, the reason why is, well, I guess, sexual health doctors often say that the clinic gets busier in summer. Yes. So we wanted to see if that was true and other than being curious about it, if there is a seasonal difference in rates of sexually transmitted infections, then that may have implications for sexual health service delivery and for public health campaigns as well. Okay. And and so what did you what did you find out? So when do we have the most sex? <laughs> well, uh, as I said, we analysed partner numbers and STI diagnoses by season and we did that for women, for men who have sex with women and for men who have sex with men. Okay. Um, the interpretation of the data is a little bit tricky um, as the partner number data um, is the number of partners that people report for the three months preceding their visit to the clinic. But basically, men and women reported the lowest number of sexual partners in the three months preceding clinic visits in winter and the highest number of sexual partners preceding clinic visits in summer. So partner numbers increased a bit over 10%. Um, so there was a bit over a 10% difference between summer and winter for men who have sex with men and a bit less than 10% for women and for men who have sex with women. So in terms of actual numbers of partners, what, what does that look like? Um, well, it was very different for the, the three different groups. So um, for men who have sex with men, the actual partner numbers were higher. So for men who have sex with men, we were looking over the preceding three months, we were looking at an average of um, about 45 three to 4.9 partners. Again, as I said, that 10% seasonal difference. Yeah. Um, just for men who have sex with women, we were looking between 2 to 2.3 partners over um, the preceding three months. And for women, it was even lower. It was about 1.6 to 1.7. So we thought that the, the seasonal difference was quite interesting in itself, but we also wanted to know if it translated into a higher number of sexually transmitted infections in summer. So... For uh, men who have sex with men, we looked specifically at urethral gonorrhea. And for men who have sex with women, we looked at non-gonococcal urethritis, and mainly because these infections are fairly common and they have a fairly short incubation period and a high symptomatic rate. So we should, with those infections, should be able to provide a fairly reliable temporal relationship to um, between sexual risk and uh, time of diagnosis. So okay. in okay. our analysis, we found... Um, an increase in um, the rate of gonorrhea in summer in men of sex with men and an increase in NGU, non-gonococcal urethritis in uh, men of sex with women in summer. Now, obviously, that seems fairly common sense. If people have more sexual partners, then they're more likely to have sexually transmitted infections. But I guess what was interesting is that in our multivariate analysis, when we adjusted for partner number and for condom use, there was no longer a seasonal difference in NGU rates in men who have sex with women, but the seasonal difference persisted for rates of uh, gonorrhea in men who have sex with men. So that suggests that amongst men who have sex with 
men, there are other factors um, affecting the, the seasonal difference that we haven't been able to account for. Whereas in men of sex, in men of sex with women, um, the change in STI rate was accounted for by the change in partner number. Right. Okay. Um, and yeah. Oh, sorry. In the women, must not forget the women. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> In women, the, it was a bit difficult in women, uh, our analysis, because we didn't have um, an obvious analogy to the urethral gonorrhea and NGU diagnoses in men. Um, we did look at a few different STIs, and we found a seasonal pattern in the diagnosis of pelvic inflammatory disease, which peaked in autumn. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, they had a peak in partner numbers in summer, now, you could, obviously, that doesn't quite match up. You've got a peak in pattern in summer and a peak in uh, PID or pelvic inflammatory disease diagnosis in autumn. Um, but you, you could argue that the temporal relationship between sexual exposure and the development of pelvic inflammatory disease is probably more variable than that for gonorrhea or NGU in men. Um, or there could be a delay in diagnosis um, with pelvic inflammatory disease. Yeah. So... At the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre, we don't really see many cases of acute pelvic inflammatory disease. They tend to go to um, emergency departments instead. So the, the diagnoses of pelvic inflammatory disease that were in our database um, are likely to be low-grade and there may have been some delay in diagnosis in those. Okay. And just uh, for the benefit of our listeners, where, where exactly is your clinic that this study is based in? Uh, the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre. So the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre is uh, the main public sexual health clinic in Melbourne in uh, Victoria, Australia. Okay, great. Thank you. And so with the, the findings from your study seem really interesting and it's, it's nice to see um, sort of being able to relate something about behaviour to the sexual um, infection outcomes. Um, is, this, is this sort of been found before? Is this different to what's been seen in other studies? It is, uh, the, yeah, the study is a bit different to what's been done before. Um, no one before has looked at seasonal differences uh, in sexual behaviour or STI rates in Australia um, or indeed in the Southern Hemisphere. There were some studies in the USA that um, looked at seasonal differences in sexual behaviour and they found a peak in first sexual intercourse in June through to August so that, um, as you would be well aware, being in the Northern Hemisphere, it's sort of summer, late summer. Um, and... That peak was most pronounced in school-aged school teenagers, um, more so than in um, teenagers who were beyond school age. So that suggested that school holidays might be an important factor. But that study didn't look at rates of sexually transmitted infections in those people. Okay. Um, in um, the United Kingdom, there um, have some studies that showed a different pattern. So they um, showed a peak in condom sales over Christmas and summer, suggesting that people may have more sex over the Christmas holidays and over the summer holidays, or at least that they were hoping to have more sex. Yeah, over I was going to say, they, they think they're going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the same study also showed an increase in pregnancy terminations in the first quarter of the year, so they presumed okay. that that was a result of increased um, unintended conceptions around the Christmas period. But again, they didn't look at any rates of sexually transmitted infections. Uh, there were some other studies that looked at the seasonal pattern of the rates of sexually transmitted infections without assessing the seasonal differences in partner numbers. So there was a study or a couple of studies in the USA that showed peaks in STI rates in summer and in early autumn, um, corresponding to their holiday season. And there were two right. studies in the UK that showed a two-peak seasonal distribution in STI incidence. So they had a peak in the first quarter and the third quarter of the year, again, corresponding to the time after the Christmas holidays and after the summer holidays. 
So I guess our findings are interesting because this is the first time that a study has really looked at correlating seasonal differences in partner numbers with seasonal differences in SDR rates in the same study and on, in, the same, in the same cohort of people. Okay, so it's, it does seem to be, you, you, you've at least provided us with some evidence that we, we have more sex in the holidays and we get more STIs when we have more sex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might not be rocket science, but <laughs> still interesting, I think. No, no, it's, it, it's, it's, it is important, I think. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, that's what it looks like. And I guess one of the big questions is whether people have more sex in summer because they have more opportunity for sex as a result of the holiday season or whether the difference is because people have a higher sex drive in summer. Um, I guess we certainly, we're not the only animals that have a seasonal difference in sex drive. The birds and the bees are famously more romantic in spring. Um, and some studies in the USA have looked at seasonal differences in hormone levels in humans to try to explain the seasonal difference in sexual activity. And they showed that there was a seasonal difference in testosterone in men, but it does remain controversial as to whether that is actually a cause for an increased sex drive in summer. And as I mentioned before, with the studies from the UK uh, showing a peak in sexual activity over Christmas and over summer, that sort of pattern is more consistent with people having more sex as a result of having more opportunity to have sex rather than as a result of uh, necessarily a, bio a seasonal difference in biological drive. So in the end, I suspect that the seasonal difference is, well, the seasonal difference that we're seeing is probably the result of a combination of the seasonal change in biological drive and social opportunity. You know, these things are usually complex and have multiple fact, um, are multifactorial. Mm. And in the end, it doesn't really matter what is causing people to have more sex in summer as long as we know that this is happening and that this pattern exists and so that we can respond appropriately from a public health point of view. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I certainly wasn't aware of the the potential sort of seasonal differences in, in hormone levels. That's quite interesting. So I guess um, you, you've already described a little bit about what we see in other countries and in the, um, and in the UK. Do you think that, that, would, that we'd expect to see similar things in other countries? I guess, I guess um, we would. But. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, I think just coming back to Australia first, I think it'd be interesting to have a look in Australia. I mean, Australia is a big country with... Um, Climates ranging from temperate to subtropical and even tropical, um, right up north, north, northern part of Australia. Um, so, if the social opportunity hypothesis is correct, then uh, if people have more sex in summer because of the holidays, then I, I would expect to find the same pattern across Australia. But obviously, mm -hmm. if the seasonal pattern is due to differences in biological drive, then you would expect this pattern to be different in the different climatic zones in Australia. Um, so, the north would be very different from south. But unfortunately, uh, my apologies to Darwin and Cairns up north there, but we don't have a city equivalent to Melbourne in the north of Australia, so no. there are other sociolo sociological differences that would confound doing such analysis. Um, right, right. And as I mentioned before, the, the analysis would likely yield a very different result in the northern hemisphere because of the summer holidays not overlapping the Christmas holidays up there. Yeah, although it's it's interesting that we do see sort of maybe similar sort of direction of, of behaviours in the UK as well in in both holidays. So that's yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Which goes more towards being it being opportunity. Of social opportunity. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, just um, one quick question. So if if we think it is more to do with social opportunity, do you think the seasonal effect then? 
it's going to be overridden by factors like sort of the grinder and and other sort of apps for enabling sexual opportunities or do you do you think that that's still well this is a really good question yeah um uh, you're, you're right and that if people can now have the opportunity to have sex at at any time of year regardless of whether they have time off work um then you would think that the seasonal pattern will change although we found that because obviously um in Australia at least, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in Australia, the use of uh, ge- geosocial networking applications is much more common amongst men who have sex with men mm. or men who have sex with women. And we found that our seasonal pattern was much more pronounced amongst men who have sex with men. Um, so not only the partner number, but the, the seasonal pattern in gonorrhea diagnosis was much more pronounced in that group. Um, more so than we could account for by the seasonal difference in partner numbers. So one of our um, hypotheses are, or one of the things that we think is happening here is that the use of geosocial networking apps has caused a, sort of a change in the partner mixing pattern where you get guys who are fairly high risk having sexual contact with other guys who are high risk through these apps and thereby yeah. amplify the, the, the seasonal difference. Um, so rather than obliterating the seasonal difference in STI diagnosis, mm. it might actually amplify um, yeah. the pattern. Sure, uh, particularly if, if testosterone plays a role as well. That that might um, they might you know synergize together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, you're definitely de- um, generating some interesting hypotheses to test. Do you do you think we need to do anything differently in in practice in terms of our interventions or our you know clinic? Um, uh, publicity or marketing yeah i think i think there's i think there's two broad implications from this study i think first we need to look at clinic capacity so our sexual health clinic in melbourne runs at full capacity all year long so we do every on most days we do have to turn people away after they've been assessed by the triage nurse um usually they're the more low risk people um but if there are more stis in summer then we may need to look at increasing our clinic capacity in summer and the other implication is that I think it may be a good idea of public health campaigns that target sexual health are intensified during spring and summer. So we know from previous study that people are more receptive to messages around sexual safety at times when they're more likely to take sexual risk, such as yeah. during festivals and gay pride events. And that incidentally also tends to be in summer that those events take place. So it okay. makes sense to run campaigns specifically during those times. Yeah, sure. Um, I just had sort of one one other question or, or one other factor that I don't know if you've, ta- you've thought about in terms of the, the outcomes, which is sort of use of antibiotics. There was some data released this week from um, WHO about sort of seasonality of antibiotic prescribing and, and obviously that's much higher during the winter months. Um, so, yeah, I just wondered whether you can comment on that for your uh, and the implications of that for your study. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, the, the certainly the, there's a study, a really old study from I think it was back in the, the 70s that showed that um, gonorrhea isolates in winter showed much more um, antibiotic resistance than gonorrhea isolates from summer, um, suggesting that okay. the isolates in winter had been exposed to more antibiotics than the summer ones. So this is not a, I guess... I mean, it's, it's good that the WHO, I think it was the WHO, uh, released this, this week, but it's um, something that's probably been known about for a while. Yeah. Um, 
I think if you asked any GP, they'd probably tell you that too. Yeah, exactly. And in Melbourne, most of the gonorrhea is not particularly sensitive to the antibiotics that are prescribed for respiratory tract infections. Um, so, and I'm sure that's the same in the UK. Um, yeah. So whether that seasonal pattern in antibiotic prescribing um, will actually affect gonorrhea prevalence, I'm not so sure about. That's great. I think I think you've obviously given us lots of food for thought. I think we can probably wrap it up there unless there's anything else you'd really you want to to tell us oh I, I know what I wanted to ask you Vincent did you did you enjoy um the ISSTDR conference in Brisbane this year I did I thought it was a very stimulating conference and it was great to have a uh, a large international gathering in uh, in Brisbane um it's not very often that the ISTDR conferences come uh, to the southern hemisphere so it was uh, it was lovely to have everyone there it's a yeah, shame we, I didn't we certainly enjoyed, to, enjoyed coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm sorry i missed you as well you could have done um, this over a cup of coffee yeah it would have been much easier <laughs> rather than overnight so thank you again vincent for for um giving up your evening to talk to us um we really appreciate it um no this problem is, so katie thank turner and it. vincent cornelis for sti thank you bye thank you